Welcome to the Law with DK Williams, giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 74. We're going to talk about John Bad Elk, that is his name, versus the United States. This is a 1900, from the year 1900, unanimous, 9-0, United States Supreme Court case that occasionally shows up in memes on social media. I've seen them, and I'm always like, hmm, let me check that out. And these memes are about resisting an unlawful arrest. These memes are wrong, and we'll talk about why. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas, and you can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through your favorite podcast app and at speakeasyideas.com. Now, I've had some questions about this. When you go to Stitcher or the Google Podcast or whatever, wherever you're going, search for Speakeasy Ideas. You will find the law there and also a podcast from Tom Cranowitter. We're both under Speakeasy Ideas. You'll see the law. You'll see his as well. Subscribe to that. You'll get them both. You won't miss one, which is where we want you to be. And if you go to speakeasyideas.com slash the law, mine are all there. There's a couple archives or a handful of archived ones that aren't up there yet, but we're working on them. We'll get them there. Um, All the recent ones from way back and the first several, like 10 or so, are there. We're going to fill in that middle gap uh, here shortly. So check them out. Let people know. And so you never miss one or anything that uh, I tweet about. Follow the podcast on social media. This one right here, this podcast, Twitter at the law DKW and on Facebook.com slash The Law with DK Williams. I want to hear from you. I want to know your questions. I want to know your critiques, your thoughts. I want to hear from you and I will respond. Um, please check out the Facebook page, like it, review it, comment, subscribe, share, all of that. I am available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details on that. Likewise, give Bethany a, uh, a holla. Contact Bethany if you'd like to contribute to our work here at The Law with DK Williams via a sponsorship. John Bad Elk, that was his name, John Bad Elk was a tribal police officer within the state of South Dakota. So the reservation was in South Dakota. He was convicted of murder in federal court. And remember, he was a police officer. He was convicted in federal court for the death of another tribal police officer. The victim was John Kills Back. They're both John, but it's Bad Elk and it's Kills Back. Bad Elk's murder conviction was overturned by the United States Supreme Court for a very interesting reason that involves history, common law, way back to the United Kingdom before even they thought about colonizing North America. Very interesting reason. I love this history stuff, and I love the story involved in this case. John Bad Elk killed John Kills Back. It's like a short story, almost reading this one. It's like a Western because it's 1900. It is Native Americans on a reservation. And the court in this 1900 case says Indian. They don't say Native American. When I say Indian, I'm just quoting the court. I know that's no longer the preferred nomenclature. So this was a nine-nothing opinion, but it I have to emphasize this. It no longer applies, and not because it has been overturned by a subsequent United States Supreme Court decision, but because it dealt with common law as it existed in 1900, and we'll talk about it because common law can be changed by legislation. 
Unless we're talking about some constitutional issue, which is rare when we're talking about common law, because those are separate things. But I can probably come up with some creative situation where they both apply. But as long as the Constitution is not an issue, common law is just the law as it has developed over centuries in the United Kingdom. We brought it over. It's continued to develop. It still exists. It has continued to develop here in the United States. It still develops here in 2020. But anytime the legislature does not like the common law, it can change it. And that's what's happened in regards to this case from 1900, when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned a murder conviction of John Bad Elk, who killed John Killsback, because John Killsback was trying to arrest, pursuant to an order, he was ordered, along with some other people, to arrest another tribal police officer, John Bad Elk. But the Supreme Court said there wasn't any legitimate authority to arrest John Bad Elk. John Bad Elk ended up killing John Killsback, and the U.S. Supreme Court sent it back, sent the conviction and death sentence back for a trial. So like I said, the opinion was 9-0. It was unanimous. Let's talk about the Supreme Court justices on this case. 1900, 120 years ago. The opinion was written by Associate Justice Rufus W. Peckham, who has a great old-timey name that I love, Rufus Peckham. He wrote the opinion for the court. Now, he was a big-time Democrat mover and shaker back in the day. He was nominated by Grover Cleveland, who was a Democrat, and Peckham served from 1895 until his death in 1909 at the age of 70. And again, I mention this to compare it with modern times, when we've got nine Supreme Court justices, all of whom went to an Ivy League law school. Back, in, back here, sometimes we don't even know where these guys went to law school, because you didn't have to go to law school. Remember, Abraham Lincoln didn't go to law school. Now, of course, they all do. Now, Peckham wrote the famous Lochner versus New York opinion, which we discussed in episode 68, so not too long ago. So go check that one out. Now, Peckham was, apparently he was friendly with like a lot of rich people back in the turn of the century. J.P. Morgan, Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, for whatever that's worth. He was not a commoner, let's put it that way. So he was joined by the chief justice at the time, Melville Fuller. Now, Fuller was on the bench from 88 until 1910, so it's that 22 years, uh, when he died. He did not retire. So I point that out because people forget, like right now, it seems like none of these guys ever retire. They just stay until they die. That's not always the case. And it's even if you just go back like a couple decades, it's not been the case. Sometimes they die on the bench. Sometimes they retire. So Fuller was... Democrat also nominated by Grover Cleveland, and he was chief justice when Plessy versus Ferguson was decided. That was in 1896, just four years before this case. Now, he didn't write it, but he was in the eight to one majority. Now, remember, we discussed Plessy versus Ferguson in episode seven, one of the first ones we did. And the sole dissenter in that case, I just bring this up because it brings me back to one of my famous quotations in a roundabout way. The sole dissenter in Plessy versus Ferguson, and that was the case where the separate but equal doctrine was applied. The dissenter was John Marshall Harlan I, who was the grandfather of John Marshall Harlan II, who was also a Supreme Court justice. The second wrote my favorite dissenting quotation that I've come across so far in the United States Supreme Court history. And that's why I bring this up. John Marshall Harlan II wrote, you've heard this before, the Constitution is not a panacea for every blot upon the public welfare, nor should this court be thought of as a general haven of reform movements. That's the quote that should be chiseled into marble above every appellate court in the country. Of course, it is not. 
And speaking of John Marshall Harlan I, the grandfather of the second who said that, Harlan I is still on the bench here in 1900. He joined the opinion. It was unanimous here in Bad Elk. Now, Harlan I served from 1877 until 1911 when he died. He was 78. That is 34 years on the bench. Lifetime appointments are a long time, but that's the point. If you understand what the Constitution meant to do, the structure that was behind it, and don't give me this, well, lifetime appointments are racist because the Constitution is racist, because slavery existed at the time and they were racist in 1776 or when the Constitution was was passed. Yes, all that is true. But just because racism existed at the time our country was founded, it does not mean that everything in the Constitution is racist, which is basically what New York Times wants you to believe from their project. There is brilliance in the Constitution, even though at the time, Racism existed. Racism existed in the entire world 220 years ago and beyond since the beginning of time. So to single out this one document as being useless and worthless and and hypocritical because slavery existed, racism existed when it was adopted, means nothing in the past has any value because racism existed in the past. And that's an absurd idea. Hitler loved the arts. That doesn't mean the arts are bad. Hitler wore shoes. It doesn't mean shoes are bad. Lifetime appointments are in this U.S. Constitution, and that's the whole point. Federal judges are not supposed to be concerned with popular politics and the whims of the majority. That's the job of the House of Representatives. That's how that was constructed. The entire House of Representatives is elected every two years, all of them. If the popular opinion is to replace all of them, they can all be replaced in two years. They face that every two years. That's where political opinion and the whims of the majority are to be expressed. Not in the judiciary. The separation of powers is a brilliant thing. And whenever I see some article stating something to the effect of a majority of people feel that a certain issue about a case before the Supreme Court thinks they should rule this way, I say to myself, self What the majority wants is irrelevant to what the Constitution says. The Constitution exists to keep the majority from subjugating the minority. If the majority wants to ban a religion, the Supreme Court and the Constitution are supposed to stop that. If the majority want to ban books, the Constitution and the Supreme Court are supposed to stop that. The majority can want all kinds of horrible things. The Constitution is supposed to stop it. That's the idea, and the Supreme Court enforces what the Constitution says, regardless of what the majority says, regardless of what the legislative branch says. If the majority of people want to make all Irishmen or people of Irish descent back to Ireland, and you see how this could be an issue, there there are some parts of the country that would like to send certain groups of people back or expel them from this country. And if that's what the majority wants, so many people, especially right now progressives, they're all about democracy. And they're wrong. Democracy by itself is not the ultimate ideal in governance. Because if it was, slavery was justified. If the majority of people wanted it, well, there you go. If the majority of people wanted to put Japanese people in internment camps, well, there you go. If the majority of people want to ban books, ban a religion, well, there you go. But we know that's not right. We know that the Constitution is supposed to protect the minorities, people with unpopular ideas. And that's why federal judges, particularly appellate judges, but all of them, have a lifetime appointment. That anybody thinks what opinion polls 
say is relevant to a constitutional issue is embarrassing to them. And you see it a lot. So many know so little about how our government was designed, and it is sad. I weep for this country because of that. Anyway, Harlan I was nominated by Rutherford B. Hayes. Harlan now had been a Whig, then a know-nothing, and then a member of something called the Opposition Party, apparently, then the Constitutional Union Party, and finally a Republican when he was nominated to the Supreme Court. Also on the court, and also in the majority, because it was unanimous, Horace Gray. He served from 1882 when he was nominated by Chester Arthur until 1902 when he died. He was 74 years old. Prior to joining the U.S. Supreme Court, he had been the Chief Justice of the Massachusetts State Supreme Court. Also in the 9-0 opinion, David Josiah Brewer, another great old-fashioned name, Josiah. He served from 1889 until 1910 when he died at 72. He had been nominated by President Benjamin Harrison. Also on the court, Henry Billings Brown. He served from 1890 to 1906 when he retired finally in this court. We've got somebody who didn't die in office. He lived another seven years after he retired, died at the age of 77. Nominated by Benjamin Harrison. He was a Yale undergrad and a Harvard law grad, an Ivy League elite like all nine members of the modern current Supreme Court. George Shearis served from 1892 to 1903 when he t- retired, and he lived another 21 years. He had a lot of life left, and he died at 92. He had a long life. Also nominated by Harrison. The last two guys, Edward White. He was on the Supreme Court from 1894 until 1910 as an associate justice. Then he was the chief justice from 1910 until 1921. He was nominated by Grover Cleveland first to the bench, then William Howard Taft to become chief justice. Prior to that, he was a U.S. Senator from Louisiana, Edward White, before joining the U.S. Supreme Court, was a U.S. Senator. That hasn't happened in a long time, but it certainly could. Right now, we always think of some appellate federal appellate judge being bumped up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But it could be a U.S. Senator, it could be a state court judge, it could be anything, as long as the president nominates him and the Senate approves it. Now, White, here back in 1900, he had gone to Tulane Law School. So I like these guys who didn't go to an Ivy League law school. We need some diversity in that respect today. He went to law school in New Orleans, so that's super cool. And a little trivia about me, if I had not gone to the University of North Carolina as an undergraduate, I would have gone to Tulane. Finally, Joseph McKenna on the Supreme Court. He served from 1898 to 1925. He retired, then died the next year at 83 years old. He was nominated by William McKinley and had been the United States Attorney General before he was nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's a little bit about these justices on this case, 9-0 opinion back in 1900, and I point this stuff out, largely to personalize them. They aren't mystical oracles sitting high atop a mountain, bringing messages down from God to us. They're just people, lawyers, all of them, and many of them politicians. We can read the Constitution. We don't need it interpreted for us. And they know that. But so many of us now defer to them as if they wield some mystical power that's beyond us. They don't. So before we dive into the meat of this case, I want to address the memes. Because I've seen them. This case has been cited in memes. First rule don't believe memes. Y'all know that. But this case, John Bad Elk versus U.S. is oft cited for the proposition that you can legally resist an unlawful arrest. That's not right. Don't 
do it. I'm not talking about the morality of it. I'm not talking about the right or wrong of it. I'm talking about the legality of it. And I'm talking about the practical applications of it. First, how do you know if your arrest is unlawful? How do you know a judge is going to determine your arrest is unlawful, therefore it's okay to resist it? You might believe it is, but the time to contest it is later. Not when a man or a woman with a gun and a badge and backup, an entire small army is going to take you into custody. That's not the time to do it. In this case, John Bad Elk did that. That doesn't mean you should. So let's look at what happened to John Bad Elk. And again, I love that name. So we go to the court, Rufus Peckham writing. John Bad Elk was convicted in April of 1899 in the Circuit Court of the United States in South Dakota of the murder on March 13th, 1899. So think about this. Murder was in March. He was tried in April. That doesn't happen anymore, but it happened then. Convicted of the murder of John Kills back at the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Sentenced to be hanged. So think about that. It took a year from conviction, a year from the murder, to the United States Supreme Court opinion, which came out in 1900. Compare that to modern time frames. That asset forfeiture case we talked about last week, the Wyoming State Supreme Court case, Miller versus Wyoming. That was episode 73 just last week. Miller was pulled over in 2013. The Wyoming Supreme Court decision in his favor was in 2020. That took seven years. Bad Elk's murder trial went from the death of the victim in March of 1899 to the U.S. Supreme Court decision in April of 1900. That's just one year and a couple of weeks. So both the deceased, who was John Kills Back, two words, Kills Back, and John Bad Elk were Indians and again, I'm using the terms they used in 1900, not Native Americans. They were both policemen residing on the reservation at the time of the killing. And I'm going to quote from the opinion, what happened is like a Western short story. So here we go. Upon the trial, the evidence made it appear, and according to the prosecution, that Bad Elk, the guy who did the killing, on March 8th of 1899, while out of doors, fired a couple of shots from his gun at or near the place where he resided. That's not what killed Kills back. That's what caused the problem. He fired his gun. Soon after the firing, one Captain Gleason, who was another tribal officer on the same reservation, having heard the shot, said meeting Bad Elk, because these guys all know each other. Gleason asked Bad Elk if he had done the shooting. And Bad Elk said he had, that he had shot into the air for fun. To which Gleason responded by saying to him, and apparently Gleason's his boss, come around to the office in a little while and we'll talk the matter over. Thereupon they separated as he did not come to the office, Bad Elk, Gleason, the boss, after waiting several days, gave verbal orders to three of the Indian policemen to go and arrest Bad Elk at his mother's house nearby and take him to the agency some 25 miles distant. I guess that's the office. No reason for making the arrest was given by Gleason to these other tribal officers, nor any charge made against him. So he hasn't been indicted. There's no written criminal complaint or anything. The policeman, one of whom was the deceased, John Killsback, went to the house where Bad Elk was stopping, I guess staying, and came back and reported to Gleason, the boss, that Bad Elk wasn't there, and they were then ordered to return and wait for him and to arrest him upon his return. Three policemen returned to the house, but came back again to the boss and reported that Bad Elk said that he would go with them to the agency in the morning, that it was too late to go with them that night. Gleason, the boss, then told them, to watch him, watch Bad Elk, and see that he did not go away. And in the morning, take him to the Pine Ridge Agency. The policeman then went back 
to the house where Bad Elk was staying and met him coming towards his mother's place. He, Bad Elk, went into the house and one of the police officers followed him, found him smoking, and told him that they had come. Hey, man, we got to go to the agency at Pine Ridge. Bad Elk refused to go. The policeman went outside. Another of them, the policeman, then went back into the house, and in a few minutes, both he and Bad Elk came out, and the latter, Bad Elk, saddled his horse. Anytime you have a horse in a story, it's a good story. Saddled the horse, went over to, a, to the house of a friend, and they, the police, followed him. It was getting dark when he came back to his mother's house, still followed by the three policemen. And while following Bad Elk to his house on this last occasion, they were joined by others. So now we got even more policemen and more than three. So that when he, Bad Elk, went into the house, there were four or five men standing about it. In a short time, Bad Elk came out and asked of those outside, what are you bothering me for? The deceased, John Killsback, said, cousin, you're a policeman, man. Look, I added the man. Cousin, you're a policeman. You know what the rules and orders are? To which Bad Elk replied, yes. I know what the rules and orders are, but I told you I would go with you to the Pine Ridge in the morning. Then, according to the evidence for the prosecution, Bad Elk, this is the prosecution's evidence, Bad Elk, without further provocation, shot the deceased, John Killsback, who died within a few minutes. This makes me, how do you get the name Bad Elk? This is, what makes an elk bad? I mean, they don't eat livestock. I can see like Bad Wolf, but elk are vegetarians. I can't imagine what would an elk do that would make him bad. Nevertheless, like I said, it's a great name. I wish I had a cool name like that. DK Bad Elk. That's cool. That's right up there with, some of you remember this. There was a Red Sox pitcher, Dennis Oil Can Boyd. Oil Can is a great name. Oil Can Williams. I kind of like that too. Not sure if I like it as much as DK Bad Elk, but I digress. The Supreme Court points out that that was the evidence provided by the prosecution. Then they go on. Supreme Court says, U.S. Supreme Court. 1900 says, there is no proof that he, Bad Elk, had been guilty of any criminal offense. Remember, they were only trying to arrest him because apparently he shot into the air. Apparently, that's no evidence that that was a crime. Supreme Court says, or that he had even violated any rule or regulation for the government of the Indians on the reservation, or that any warrant had been issued for his arrest. On the contrary, Gleason, that was like the tribal police boss of these guys, swears that his orders to arrest Bad Elk were not in writing, but given orally. Indeed, the U.S. Supreme Court says, it does not appear that Gleason had any authority even to entertain a complaint or to issue a warrant in any event. Bad Elk testified in his own behalf and said that during the day, he had been looking after the schools along the creek near the station, that that was his duty as a policeman, that he arrived at his mother's house about half past four in the afternoon. And soon afterwards, an Indian named High Eagle came into the house, stayed a minute or two, but did not speak. That's kind of weird, right? Then High Eagle went outside and Lone Bear came in and said that he was directed to take Bad Elk to Pine Ridge to Major Clapp. Okay, another trial police officer, apparently, another higher up guy. To which Bad Elk replied, all right, my horse is used up and I shall have to go to my brother's, Harrison White Thunder's house and get another horse. Lone Bear said, all right. Then Bad Elk started for his brothers, and when he got there, found that the horses were out on the range. And when they came in, his brother promised to bring one of them down to him. In this, he was corroborated by his brother, who testified that he brought the horse over about dark. On the way back to his mother's, Bad Elk stopped at a friend's and got a Winchester rifle for the purpose, as he said, of shooting prairie chickens. When he went back to his mother's, he was there but a short time, when the deceased, that's John Killsback, and two or three others, the police officers, 
tribal police, came to his house to arrest him. And Bad Elk went out. And according to his testimony, Bad Elk's testimony, the following is what occurred. Bad Elk said, I asked John Killsback and High Eagle what they were there bothering me all the while for. John Killsback said, you're a policeman and know what the rules are. I said, Bad Elk, I said, yeah, I know what the rules are, but I told you I would go to Pine Ridge Agency in the morning. Then the deceased, John Killsback, moved a little forward and put his hand around as if to reach for his gun. I, Bad Elk, saw the gun and shot him. Then I shot twice more, and John Killsback and High Eagle ran off. John Killsback fell after he had gone a short distance. I shot because I knew that they, John Killsback and High Eagle, would shoot me. I saw their revolvers at the time I shot. And that's the evidence. The Supreme Court used that evidence to apply the law as it existed then, back in 1900. This case is decided on common law. Like I was saying, common law can be changed by statute, and it often is. Like I said, as long as there's no constitutional issues, statutes can't change constitutional law. They can change common law. Legislatures change it all the time. And here's an example. I dealt with this back in North Carolina. At common law, from way back in England, again, long before the New World was colonized, there were three different standards owed by a property owner to people on their property. So there was one heightened duty to invitees, basically people that were there to do business, among other things. There was a slightly lesser duty to licensees, people that you didn't necessarily invite but had the right to be there, and almost no duty, but there's still some duty, to trespassers. Now, that got convoluted. Who's an invitee? Who's a licensee? Who's a trespasser? Which standard do we apply to them? And many state legislatures said, you know what? We're going to change that by statute and make this a lot easier to understand and to apply. So common law can be changed. And in this case, the common law that allowed Bad Elk to win and get a new trial after he was convicted of murdering a fellow tribal police officer is no longer applicable. Now, in this case, Bad Elk argued that none of the policemen who sought to arrest him in this action prior to the killing of John Killsback, none of them were justified in arresting him and that he had the right to use such force as a reasonably prudent person might do in resisting such arrest. And ultimately, what the U.S. Supreme Court says is that's right. It's not right anymore. You might say it should be, but it's not. Not legally. Not as a matter of whether or not you're going to go to jail. And the trial judge did not let Bad Elk make that argument. And the Supreme Court says here that Bad Elk should have been able to make that argument. Not that he was going to win on that argument, but he should have been allowed to make it. Because at common law, that was correct. And no statute had changed that in 1900 in South Dakota. It has now been changed almost everywhere, if not everywhere. But remember, this argument is not one of self-defense that could result in a not guilty verdict. It is an argument that lowers the offense from murder to manslaughter. From murder to manslaughter. And then only if the jury believes it. But Bad Elk was not allowed to argue that to the jury Back in 1899, when the jury trial was, and the U.S. Supreme Court in 1900 said that that was an error and vacated the murder conviction and death sentence and sent it back for a new trial. Now, the prosecutor had the option of dismissing the charges, but he didn't do that. He's, I'm going to retry you and we're going to give you this jury. We're going to allow you to argue this and tell the jury that you can argue this. Now, as it turned out, Bad Elk died in jail of consumption 
waiting for a new trial. Apparently, that's what they called tuberculosis back then. Same thing Doc Holliday died from. Holliday died in 1887, but he was the famous tuberculosis guy, right? The lunger. The Supreme Court said, we think the court, in Bad Elk's case, clearly erred in charging that the policeman had the right to arrest Bad Elk and to use such force as was necessary to accomplish the arrest, and that Bad Elk had no right to resist it. The Supreme Court goes on, at common law, remember, that's what this is all about, at common law, and this goes back to the United Kingdom, before the colonies even started. If a party resisted arrest by an officer without warrant, and who had no right to arrest him, and if in the course of that resistance the officer was killed, the offense of the party resisting arrest would be reduced from what would have been murder, if the officer had had the right to arrest, to manslaughter. Get that? It's not a defense that makes means you're not guilty. It's not a defense that means you will be acquitted. It is an argument that you didn't murder, you just committed manslaughter, which is still a felony. And remember what I said about how legislatures can change common law. The Supreme Court basically says that. It says that no legislature has changed this law. Therefore, it is the law that applies here and bad elk deserves a new trial, and we're going to give him a new trial. Of course, he died before that happened. Peckham, for the Supreme Court, wraps it up. He, Bad Elk, of course, had no right to unnecessarily injure, much less to kill his assailant, the other police officer, kills back. But where the officer is killed in the course of the disorder, which naturally accompanies an attempted arrest that is resisted, the law looks with very different eyes upon the transaction when the officer had the right to make the arrest from what it does if the officer had no such right. That was the law in 1900. It has been changed everywhere. So the conviction and the death sentence of Bad Elk were reversed and the case remanded with instructions to grant a new trial. So Bad Elk died in jail waiting for his new trial on August 2nd of 1900, just about three months after he won in the Supreme Court. And there you have it. Now, I, I love this case because it tells a story it illustrates how the names on Supreme Court cases, opinions, represent actual people with actual lives and families and their own stories. Like we talked about who Plessy was as a person, who Brown was in Brown versus Board of Education. It was a father who had a daughter who wasn't going to get a good education. We talked about Korematsu, who he was, how he was interned when there was no evidence he did anything wrong or that he was disloyal in any way. And he was imprisoned in a, in a camp. So we talk about them, we talk about other actual people who had cases decided by the United States Supreme Court. They're just people like me and you, and just like the Supreme Court justices who are deciding the, these cases. So remember, if you see bad elk cited in some meme somewhere with some language that says you have the right to kill a cop who's arresting you illegally, that's wrong. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. It is not the law anymore, even if it was in 1900. What I can advise you to do is record every interaction you have with law enforcement. And if a friend of yours or somebody you see is having an interaction with law enforcement, you record it. If you can, live stream it. But fight it later. Don't resist. Don't try to kill. Don't put yourself in a position where you will die. Don't be John Bad Elk. This is not 1900. Don't believe memes read actual cases. And as you guys know, I put a link to the actual cases. So if you want, you can read them actually and not base what you think. 
upon what somebody else thinks, especially in social media. And in this particular case, I'm also linking to the death notice for John Bad Elk that appeared in the paper in 1900. I find that actual kind of actual history fascinating. I'm DK Williams. This has been The Law, Episode 74, John Bad Elk versus the United States. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. Let me know what you think. Again, it's Twitter at TheLawDKW and Facebook.com slash TheLawWithDKWilliams. Let me know what you think. I'm available. Speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. And if you have any questions about a legal issue that might affect you and you're in Colorado, I can help you out or at least talk to you, maybe point to you in the right direction. And for sponsorship possibilities or anything else, contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com. She'll fill you in on what's up. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Until next week, live dangerously.